0: Hello, I'm Tony Collins and this is the Rugby Reloaded Podcast. This week is when Rugby League goes to Wembley Stadium for Saturday's Challenge Cup Final. It's a pivotal event in the history of Rugby League, so this week's episode looks at how the Wembley Challenge Cup Final became British Rugby League's day in the national spotlight. The Northern Union started the Challenge Cup in 1897 in the season following the split with Rugby Union. Their intention was to make it rugby's equivalent of soccer's FA Cup. By the 1920s, the Rugby League Challenge Cup final had become established as one of the North's biggest sporting occasions. In 1924, over 41,000 people had squashed into Rochdale's athletic grounds to see Wigan defeat Oldham, leading to calls to find a new venue to accommodate the expanding levels of interest. The first person to suggest moving the Cup final to Wembley was the Reverend Frank Chambers, an influential former referee and Methodist minister, in March 1928. He lived in Huddersfield and pointed to the tremendous excitement generated by Huddersfield Town's impending visit to Wembley for that year's FA Cup final. It was the first by a soccer side in a rugby league area and Chambers argued that the rugby football league should take a leaf out of soccer's book. More importantly, the RFL leadership also realised that the game had to have a place in the pantheon of national sporting events. Moving the cup final to London would give rugby league a national profile, rather than one limited to the industrial north of England. Wembley Stadium had been built as part of the 1924 British Empire Exhibition. The exhibition was an extravagant failure, losing over £10 million. But the first soccer match to be staged there gave the stadium an iconic place in the national sporting consciousness. This was the 1923 White Horse FA Cup Final, with its mythology of the 200,000 crowd allegedly controlled by a single policeman on one white horse. With the exception of Cardiff City's 1926 win, the FA Cup Final in the 1920s was dominated by teams from the north of England. If Wembley could put northern soccer towns like Bolton, Blackburn and Sheffield on the national sporting map, why couldn't it do the same for northern rugby towns like Wigan, Widnes, or Leeds? So, at the RFL's 1928 annual general meeting, a proposal to move the cup final to London was carried by 13 votes to 10. Wembley, Crystal Palace and White City Stadium were suggested as possible sites for the final. The RFL opened negotiations with Wembley and Crystal Palace. On the 17th of October 1928, RFL chairman Fred Kennedy and secretary John Wilson were delegated to visit London and return with a recommendation. After inspecting both stadia, including climbing to the top of Wembley's Twin Towers to ensure that an adequate view would be available to all spectators, Kennedy and Wilson returned north united in their decision. The 1929 Challenge Cup final would be played at Wembley. Once the decision had been made... The RFL was determined to use the opportunity to make the cup final an annual event in the sporting calendar. It made strenuous efforts to publicise the game in the south and organise its supporters in the north. Even before Wembley had been selected as the venue, the RFL circularised all clubs, encouraging them to publicise the cup final and arrange savings clubs to enable supporters to go to London. Posters and leaflets were produced for clubs to distribute and speakers were made available for those who wanted to organise public meetings. In the South, advertising in local newspapers was arranged and perhaps somewhat cheekily, 15,000 leaflets were distributed at that year's England Rebunion Internationals against Wales and Ireland at Twickenham. To ensure the widest appeal, the minimum admission cost was set at two shillings while the best seats were priced at ten shillings and six months. All other matches were cancelled on Cup Final Day so that there could be no conflict in attractions. In many ways, the RFL was seeking to revive the pre-1895 traditions of Northern Rugby when savings clubs were set up by supporters to save for day trips to the Yorkshire Cup Final or for three or four day tours to South Wales at Christmas or Easter. The sense of occasion and adventure in these events had gradually faded as travelling across the North to important matches became commonplace. By the 1920s, the relative ease of train or coach travel meant that a trip to Leeds or Wigan for a final was no longer the journey it had once been. But a trip to London was different. As the journalist Ernest Cawthorne wrote in the match programme for the 1929 Cup final, thousands of northern people who in their highest flights of fancy had only dreamt of a visit have made the metropolis their mecca today. So, on the 4th of May 1929, the first Rugby League Challenge Cup final was played at Wembley Stadium. For that first final... 20,000 Northerners took trains, coaches and cars down south to the metropolis. One hardy soul walked all the way from Wigan in clogs, the traditional footwear of Lancashire cotton workers. The match itself symbolised the state of rugby league in 1929. It was won 13 points to 2 by the cosmopolitan all-stars of Wigan, who included five Welshmen, two New Zealanders, a Scot, the grandfather of actor Rory Kinnear, but only three Lancastrians in their side. They defeated a hard-working Dewsbury team that fielded only one player not born in Yorkshire. Even the presser claimed the match as a success and the crowd of 41,500 failed by just 331 people to set a new attendance record. But by the late 1940s, the final would be attracting crowds of over 95,000 people. In the days when cars were a rarity and long-distance train travel expensive, the trip to and from London became as much of a ritual as the match itself. Trains and buses left the finalist towns early on the Saturday morning packed with thousands of supporters decked out in their team's colours. For the most, it would be their first trip to the capital city. And as the final grew in popularity, it became common for factories to give workers time off work to go to Wembley. In 1939, Pratt's engineering works in Halifax not only gave their workers the Saturday off to go to the match, but also paid for the fares of 200 of them, thus helping to swell the ranks of Halifax supporters to 8,000 people. In 1934... Another tradition was begun when 1,500 schoolchildren made the trip south to watch the Hunslet vs. Witness final, thanks to the Rugby Football League's decision to allow schoolboys into the match for free. School trips from across the north became a permanent feature of the cup final. The return home of the winning team with the Cup also became an extended celebration of local community pride. The rituals surrounding the returning victors had been established in competitions such as the Yorkshire Cup in the 1880s and were common before the Challenge Cup final was moved south. But now the drama was heightened by both the long journey north and the enhanced national importance of the Cup. Huge crowds would gather at the railway station to greet the victorious team, which would be welcomed by local dignitaries such as the Lord Mayor. Then the Cup would be paraded on an open-top bus through the town. Sometimes lights, fireworks and other explosive devices were used to salute the victors. When Halifax returned home in 1931 after defeating York, 22 fog detonators, one for every point scored, were ignited on the railway track as the train pulled into the station. The team's journey through the town resembled the carnival parade, as the eminent sociologist Richard Hoggart recalled about the 1934 triumph of his local side. I remember Hunslet Rugby team bringing the cup home from Wembley years ago, coming down from the city station into the heart of the district on top of a charaban. They went from pub to pub in all the neighbourhood's main streets with free drinks at every point, followed by crowds of lads preparing to risk staying out hours after their bedtime for the excitement of seeing their local champions. The prominence that being staged in London gave to the Challenge Cup final meant that the RFL decided almost immediately to repeat the experiment for the 1930 final. The following season, a five-year agreement was reached with Wembley, although the 1932 Cup final had to be played at Wigan because Wembley's owners, who always gave priority to soccer, could not provide the traditional first Saturday in May due to the England versus Scotland soccer match. The RFL was helped in its decision to stay in London by the fact that the Wembley Cup finals were, with the exception of the 1930 final, far more profitable than those held in the north of England. At the 1930 Rugby annual general meeting, only one person spoke against Wembley, and although Warrington had argued that Blackpool should be investigated as a possible Cup final venue in 1937, there was little serious opposition to Wembley in the 1930s. In the main, this was because of the prominence that the Wembley final had brought to Rugby League. To move back north would now be seen as a sign of weakness. It would indicate that the Northerner was losing his grit, argued Oldham's James Parkinson. But if the success of Wembley stirred strong and sometimes conflicting emotions, there could be no doubt in its success. For one of the few times in its existence, the Rugby Football League had pleased both the vast majority of the game supporters and put the sport in the national spotlight at least for one day in the year. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Rugby Reloaded podcast. If you want to follow me on Twitter, my name is at Collins Tony, and if you want to dig a bit deeper into the history of rugby and the other football codes, take a look at the Rugby Reloaded website at www.rugbyreloaded.com, where you can also find a special discount on my new book, How Football Began, A Global History of How the World's Football Codes Were Born. Until next week, thanks for listening.